My name is Wyatt. Chat. Chat. My name is Michael Hunt. I'm Lillian Jackson. My name is Trin. I, uh... My name is Kinley Jackson. Trista. She's older. Written. I always don't know. She is old. Abby. 41? Maybe 42? I don't know. <laughs> I'm still counting up to 38. Here. Um. <laughs> Ow. Um. But she's actually 41. I. I just forgot that thing. <laughs> she's. She said no and she said yes when, when we go somewhere. Do the dishes. Go clean your room. I'm going to the park. I'm giving her a hug. This one is really funny. She asked me jokes. Play games with me to help Latina. Her cooking. She gives me a ride most anywhere. And she does my laundry for me. Uh, she picks me up. She helps me when I make mistakes. Because if I make a mistake and I don't know how to fix my mistake, then I always have someone to go to. They take care of you. They make you food. They cook you dinner and lunch and breakfast. She, when I was six, she took care of me. I love you, Mom. I love you, Mom. I love you, Mom. I love you, Mom. Love you, Mom. I love you, Mom. Love you, Mommy. I love you, Mom. Look at me! We love you, Moms! Definitely want to say Happy Mother's Day to my wife. She's just amazing. And uh, we've got a lot of fresh flowers out in the lobby. Those are all from her garden. I don't get to take any credit for any of those. Those are all her handiwork. So, uh, hey, on the way out, moms, um, or actually all of the ladies here today, we've got some hand-stamped radiant bookmarks. Um, and so make sure you pick some of these up. They're going to be great. Um, and uh, everybody has to be on their best behavior because they are metal and they also dub as a knife, I think. So just be careful. Moms, you're welcome. We love you. Our team put those together for you. I think you'll, you'll enjoy those. Hey, uh, join me in Romans chapter 16. Romans chapter 16 is where we'll be. Uh, today we, we started a collection uh talking about the radiant people of God. What does it look like to become radiant? What does it mean to be the radiant people of God? And one of the things that we're doing in this collection is I, I want to do my absolute best that I possibly can to present a biblical vision that is full of beauty and strength and wonder 
and power of God and, and, and that presents a picture of what does it look like to flourish in a way that outdoes, outweighs, and is more beautiful and more compelling than the world's vision for your life. The world around you is trying to shape and form you, but God himself through his spirit wants to shape and form each of us into the radiant people of God. And I want to cast a more compelling vision today for what does it look like to be radiant women of God? I want to cast a more compelling vision according to the truth of scripture as I see it and understand it as what does it look like to flourish as a female according to God's design for you. Now, today, I think it's uh, pertinent and important that I give you just a few kind of disclaimers before I get into the text and the teaching today. Um, some of you today will maybe have a, a challenge hearing some of the things that I have to say because for you, your worldview has not yet been shaped into a biblical worldview. Some of us are living patterns in our lives that have been shaped more by our culture and our world and our upbringing than perhaps shaped by scripture and that might cause some tension to rise within you. Some of you might uh, find some tension and even, if I could even use this word, triggers within you. Because maybe you grew up in an environment that claimed a biblical worldview, quote unquote, but it was unhealthy and perhaps even abusive. And I'm sorry. Sorry if that's part of your story. I'm sorry if that's something that's been painful for you. And I hope and pray that you will find healing in the person of Jesus and the work of the Spirit in your life. Some today may find yourself wanting to disengage because you're like, I'm not a woman, uh, I'm not a mom. It's not really my thing, and so I'm glad someone else is here to hang in, and you've got like things that you want to start rolling through your mind, but, but can I encourage you, if you are a part of the family of God, to not disengage, but rather to lean in and allow the truth of God's word to speak and shape, because this has profound implications for all of us who are a part of the family of God. Some of you today will hear some things that you agree with. Some of you today will hear some things that you do not agree with. And your temptation will maybe be to take them out of context or run in a direction that perhaps I'm not creating a lane or an avenue for. I would ask that you would lean in, take some notes, write your questions down. Maybe even ask yourself the question, why does this bother me? And maybe allow the Lord to speak to an area or something in your life that would rise up within you that perhaps isn't quite in alignment with his word and more in alignment with the system of our world instead. I would ask that if that happens, you would lean in, pray, take some notes, and after some time, if it's still something that's not settled in you, that you would reach out to us on staff and allow us the opportunity to dialogue and talk so that we can keep growing together in the bond of love toward unity. I am a dad of two daughters, husband of one amazing wife, 
I have three sisters, a mom who I love and has been watching every single one of these teachings. So, hi, mom. I love you. Uh, I have uh, seven sister-in-laws and one mother-in-law who can't publicly say it, but will acknowledge that I am absolutely her favorite. All of these ladies have no problem hearing from God, speaking the truth, and often will share their opinion with me about things that I have said or done. As a staff, as a church, we have more women on our staff than we currently have men. I think you will be hard-pressed to find any church in our region or pastor who believes more strongly in empowering, equipping, and releasing and calling the destiny up of all of those around him, including the women in this place. If we are going to become the radiant people that God longs for us to, I think it's important that we recognize that radiant people belong to the family of God. We used to have a phrase that we said around here that you can belong before you believe. That is one of the statements in my life in the last three years. I have rethought and I don't use it anymore. Because I believe that belonging to the family of God actually requires believing in Jesus. And that requires or that comes from an understanding of what Jesus himself said. There is an element though of recognizing uh, creating a space of welcome. Absolutely. I think, again, you'll be hard-pressed to find another church that's more friendly, full of smiles, and are willing for people to go out of your way who have never met you to serve you, love you, cheer for you, pray for you, and welcome you to sit into a place of great welcome in an environment. I think that's something that we as a church deeply believe. But I want you to know that radiant people belong to a family. God does not save you, redeem you, heal you, set you free so that you can live in isolation all by your lonesome. You are saved and baptized not only into the kingdom of God, but into a local family of God as well. Radiant people belong to a family. And if we parallel a nuclear family than the family of God, which I believe both were God's design and institutions that he initiated of his own purpose and kingdom and plan, then we need to recognize that as radiant people, we are to be discipled in a spiritual family with healthy spiritual mothers and spiritual fathers. I believe the discipleship process looks something like this. That mothers and fathers raise sons and daughters to become mothers and fathers, who raise sons and daughters to become mothers and fathers, who raise sons and daughters to become mothers and fathers. There is a perpetual multiplication within the family of God, and it's mothers and fathers who come alongside young children of God, regardless of their age or gender, and say, here we go, let's follow Jesus faithfully. And that is what the Radiant Church looks like, because they are a people committed to discipleship. And that discipleship has parallels and it is linked to understanding that we are in a family. It is one of the words used throughout the New Testament to articulate and cast compelling vision for what does it look like to be a child of God. It is to be someone who is placed in the family of God, who cares for you, looks after you, and we ourselves want to be healthy in that process. And it's true, not every environment is healthy spiritually. 
We're, none of us are perfect. That's true. But oh, how I long for, uh, to, to be someone who is growing in the ways of God, maturing myself so that I can help others grow and mature as a father in a house, as a mother in a house, that, that we together would become the radiant family of God, healthy mothers and fathers raising healthy sons and daughters to reflect the image and life of God everywhere we go. And the people of God said, amen. amen. That brings us to Romans chapter 16. Romans chapter 16 is the end of one of Paul's most intense and rich theological books and letters that he ever composed. It's towards the beginning of the New Testament because it's one of the longer books in the New Testament. And in Romans chapter 16, Paul begins to list out people by name who have been deeply influential in the Roman church, in the family of God as it has grown and multiplied and spread throughout that region. Romans 16, starting in verse 1. Now, fair warning, um, these are not English names, and I speak English barely. So I'm asking for your grace as I read names and be like, that's a weird name. I know, I know. But some of you, y'all are really special in naming your children too. I'm not sure it's English, but we love you anyways. But let's get into this and see what maybe God wants to say to us this morning. Romans 16, starting at verse 1, says this. I commend to you our sister Phoebe who is a deacon in the church of Sancria. Welcome her in the Lord as one, don't miss this, who is worthy of honor among God's people. Can I just pause and tell you that that's a similar phrase that he, Paul, writes in First or Second Timothy when he says those who labor in the word among the family of God are worthy of double honor. A very similar phrase that he's commanding and indicating as it relates to this woman named Phoebe. He goes on to say, help her in whatever she needs, for she has been helpful to many and especially to me. Give my greetings to Priscilla, that's a woman, and Aquila, that's her husband, my co-workers in the ministry of Christ Jesus. In fact, they once risked their lives for me. I am thankful to them, and so are all the Gentile churches. Also give my greeting to the church that meets in their home. Greet my dear friend, Epenetus. He was the first person from the province of Asia to become a follower of Christ. Oh, and give my greetings to Mary, who has worked so hard for your, the church's, Benefit. Greet Andronicus and Junia. That's another woman. My fellow Jews who were in prison with me, they are highly respected among the apostles and became followers of Christ before I did. Some literal translations will say that they are um, to be commended and respected as among the apostles. Not just among them, but as if they are one of them. They are highly respected among the apostles. Now he goes on in verse 8, Greet Ampelatus, my dear friend in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, our co-worker in Christ, and my dear sister, or my dear friend, Stachus. 
Greet Apelles, a good man from whom Christ approves, and give my greetings to the believers from the household of Aristobus. Greet Herodian, my fellow Jew, and greet the Lord's people from the household of Narcissus. Give my greeting to Tryphena and Tryphosa, both women, the Lord's workers, and to dear Persis, another woman who has worked so hard for the Lord. Greet Rufus, whom the Lord picked out from his very own, and also his dear mother, who has been a mother to me. Give my greeting to Ansicritus, Phlegon, Hermes, Patrobus, Hermas, and the brothers and sisters who meet with them. Give my greeting to Philogus, Julia, another woman, Nureus, and his sister, and to Olympus, and the believers who meet with them. Greet one another with a sacred kiss, and all the churches of Christ send you their greetings. Verse 17, and now I make one more final appeal, my dear brothers and sisters. Watch out for people who cause divisions and upset people's faith by teaching things contrary to what you have been taught. Stay away from them. Paul is deeply concerned with the unity within the family of God. Why? The Bible says that where there is unity, God commands his blessing. God cannot bless division and disunity. It is contrary to his nature. God cannot help but be in unity. And he says, where there is unity, I command my blessing life forevermore. So there is something powerful about recognizing the unity around the truths of what God has said and done and not going so far to run beyond what God has taught and said. When it comes to the role of women in the church, it is a hotly contested subject. I do believe that there are God-honoring, deeply loved men and women of God on different sides of this topic. And they are loved by God, and I believe they want the best for the church of God, and they're doing their best to rightly understand the word of truth. And there are many on each side of this conversation who I believe do not have the heart of God and are out there trying to champion or pulpit, uh, pound some agenda behind each one. And I sit here with Paul and saying, yeah, yeah, but guys, can't we find a way to see what the unity and the bond of Christ wants to do among us? Now, I do have some convictions. I do have some things that I hold to be true. And, and I think some of those will be evident as we teach today and perhaps even evidenced by the fact that um, we often will have a woman stand behind the pulpit and preach the word of God. And I 100% along with our elders affirm that, celebrate that, and we say, yay, Jesus, speak to us. I, I think Romans 16 is an expose on the value and the contribution and the partnership that women had in the early church. Strong impact. So many women mentioned here by Paul, by name in Romans chapter 16. They participated in a partnership to nurture a radiant church. And remember, the local church is, one of the metaphors used is a family. Healthy churches, like healthy families, have healthy mothers and 
healthy fathers. Paul mentions Phoebe in the very beginning as a deacon. It's the Greek word diokonos. And it simply means this, a leader in the church who is committed to serve God through meeting the needs of the church, characterized by a disposition of humility and self-sacrifice. There's something special about it. And, and I think the Apostle Paul, to be honest, would sit back and say, I think you guys are majoring on minors in this argument. How about we just look and see, how about we not sever 50% of the workforce for the kingdom of God, and we just say, let's get on mission and help people see Jesus. But I also think that it's important to recognize that dads can't be moms and moms can't be dads. And there is a distinction and a clarity that God brings into this throughout scripture. I do believe with all of my heart as radiant people of God, it's important for us to notice that women played a vibrant and vital role within the New Testament. Nurturing them toward maturity as a mother to become radiant in their culture. Hear me very clearly. It is not their femaleness, but their spirit-filledness that empowers them, redeems them, and renews. It was not their femaleness that made them influential. It was the spirit of God residing inside of them that makes all of us radiant and influential in our world today. We said from the beginning of this series that to become a radiant person requires us to develop a relationship with the person of the Holy Spirit because it is the Holy Spirit of God who makes you radiant, who transforms you and me into the people of God that he longs for us to see. And I want you to hear me clearly today. The Holy Spirit does not remove distinctions around gender. He redeems them renews them, makes them flourish and radiant towards his purposes. He empowers and equips. That's who the Holy Spirit is. Now, there is a cultural version known as feminism that is contrary to Scripture's vision of femaleness. Feminism is different than what the scripture produces and teaches as it relates to being a female. In fact, there have been over four different waves throughout the history of our nation around feminism. There's been some good elements that have been extracted and helped move culture forward and really helped um, protect, provide, and um, create some care in um, women's and, and some of their rights, but there have been some dangers and damages and non-biblical elements that, to be honest, actually outweigh the good that God has been trying to do in our lives. And you remember uh, a couple weeks ago, I said that deception is different than a lie. A lie is just a, a, a lie. Right? There's no truth in it, but it's convincing. A deception has some truth in it, but it leads you to the wrong conclusion, to a wrong end. And there is some deception around this within the church and within the people of God that I want to bring some clear distinctions to it today so that we can claim and grab a hold of and celebrate and not be ashamed of Christian's vision and the scripture's vision for femaleness while at the same time rejecting the enemy's ploy to distort the gift of femaleness and to remove the distinctions creating feminism. 
The Bible is not a feminist liberation book, nor is it a manual for the subjugation of women. Can I say that again? The Bible is not a liberation, uh, feminist liberation book, but it is not a manual for the subjugation of women. Feminism seeks to eliminate some distinctions. Friends, I want you to know that Genesis teaches us that the man and women were both created by God to be equal in value but different in roles. God didn't design us to be the same. He's designed, he didn't design us to do all the same things. Rather, God created male, one male and one female with different roles and assigned jobs. There is a distinction. But listen, he created the two different genders on purpose for his purposes, not yours and mine. They were designed for his purposes, not the world's popularity. They were designed for his purposes, not for your perspective his purposes. There's an article that I found written by a a, a lady who was creating a distinction and expounding on these truths, and I found it very helpful, and I thought I'd read some of it today. She says this, feminism has rejected God as the ultimate authority for life and instead placed herself on the throne. The God of feminism pridefully says, I know better than God and will live out my womanhood how I think is best. In addition to not liking God's design for gender, equality feminism stands for far more than its friendly name would suggest. If you do a little homework, you'll quickly discover how many other quote-unquote women's rights issues equality feminism promotes. Let's dive beneath the surface to see how big and gnarly this iceberg really is. Right now, today, almost all feminist groups strongly stand for the following. A woman's right to abort and murder her unborn baby. Lesbianism as the right for women to marry women. Complete liberation from sexual boundaries and morals. Freedom from traditional gender roles in marriage. And a rejection of God as the ultimate authority in life. And I would just add, when it comes to men and women alike, we are living in an age that is asking us to reject all levels of authority that God would have set up to begin with. The average American would agree that most feminists strongly stand for the above causes. I don't know about you, but those are some serious anti-biblical, quote-unquote, rights, right? If you currently claim to be a feminist, I hope you will carefully consider what the word means and what it's largely associated with. Here's the hard-to-swallow truth. As a Christian woman, you can't agree 100% with God's word and 100% with feminism at the same time. They just don't mix in most areas. In fact, if we threw all of the feminist ideologies into the same pot, the Bible would strongly oppose the majority of it. At its root, feminism is built upon a foundation completely devoid of God. The feminist movement is woven with the same sins Satan committed in the very beginning. A rebellious heart that pridefully says, I don't need you, God. Thanks, but I'll do it my own way. When we reject God's created order and purposes for our lives as women, we will not find lasting happiness. 
We will not find lasting fulfillment. We will not find lasting peace. Why? Because as C.S. Lewis says, God cannot give us a happiness and a peace apart from himself because it is not there. There is no such thing. Friends, family, church, radiant people in training, men and women were created by Yahweh as partners who are co-equal in value and distinct in our roles. The Bible illustrates that men were given a role within the nuclear family and mirrored in the church family of the role of headship. What does that mean? Let me break it down for you. It is not chauvinism that has got some religious language. Headship, I believe, is broken into three predominant uh, categories. It is accountability to God. Men who are husbands and dads, you and I stand before God to give an account of the gifts of the people that he has steward and trusted stewardship to us. We're accountable. Two, it's loving service. Love your family. Love your wives like Christ loved the church. Not demanding his own way. Not seeking to be served, but rather to serve first. It's loving service that leads as a servant leader and goes first. Takes the risk first. Forgives first. Removes bitterness first. That goes first in serving and loving your family. And, and then is a protective authority. A protective authority. Not an authority to bend your own way. Not an authority to have a sandwich made with a glass of sweet tea on a hot summer's day. The authority is used not to get your own way or to have them do your own bidding and will. It's only to protect family from those who are against it. Trying to harm those in. It is a protective authority. See, every good king throughout the Bible their authority for their own self, but rather to protect all of those in their domain. This is what headship is. It's a servanthood role. And as men, our model in scripture that we look to to grow in that is the man himself, Jesus Christ. Which means, fellas, um, unless you are the picture-perfect image of Jesus in your home, you've got some work to do. And I've got some work to do. I appreciate all of the ladies that withheld their amen in that moment. We appreciate that. Jesus is the model. And he says, here's the, here's the biblical picture to look to to see how to do this well. For women, the unique and distinct role that God has given to women is the role that the Bible uses this phrase, helper. Now, your American sensibilities don't like that because I say helper, you hear assistant. I say helper, you hear someone who does your secretary work. I hear helper, you think somebody who does the cooking and cleaning and domestic support. That's not what the Bible meant, and that's not what the word means. 
Can we redeem and set aside our American sensibilities for just a second and get a better biblical picture of what God's designed role is for just a minute? Good, because we're going to do it. Here's, here's what I want you to understand. Some of you are like, I don't even know what's happening today. <laughs> Helper is not an assistant. Helper is someone who is co-equal as a partner with strength that is unique to them. It's actually the Hebrew word ezer, E-Z-E-R. And so when God in Genesis said he created the male and female in the image of God, he created them. And he looked around and said, it's not good for man to be alone. And then he says, I'm going to create a partner that is a helper comparable or complementary to him. In other words, there's a skill set and some ability that he don't have that she's going to have. And they're going to complete, co-equal, and now they can partner together correctly. That's not just a biological reality. That is a spiritual role reality. He says, I'm going to create a helper. Now, the only time this word easer is used is here in Genesis referencing the role created for women. And every other time, and it is used a numerous amount of times throughout the Old Testament, do you want to know who it's talking about? God. God is my helper. He's a present help in time of need. My God is my helper. He is there with me in battle. These are the scriptures throughout the Old Testament that are referencing God himself. He is the helper that we need in our lives. In fact, the word helper has a connotation in a lot of the verses as someone who stands arm and arm, shoulder and shoulder in battle. In other words, they're not just some domestic support to make you feel better. They're your partner in battle. Oh, this is the vision that God has for the male and women that he created in his image, co-equal partners, but unique in their roles and distinctions. It's a biblical understanding. In fact, in the New Testament, the word helper is used too. And do you know who it's used speaking of? The Holy Spirit. God says, Jesus says, I'm going to send you the helper. Now, the word helper is not a derogatory term in the context of scripture. It's a redeemed, holy picture of how redeemed, holy, how Jesus, don't miss this, and the Holy Spirit are at work to accomplish the will of the Father on earth. Nobody's going to look back and say, well, Jesus is more important than the Holy Spirit. If you say that, you are a heretic. Sorry, that's a little strong. I didn't intend to say it that way. So I meant that to be a little more. There's a value and a role of who the Holy Spirit is in our work and in our lives. And Jesus says it's important. There is a distinct role, but Jesus and the Holy Spirit are co-equal, which means that the picture, the model, I believe, for what does a wife and a woman in our world look like? We look just like men look to Jesus to understand our role. Women look to the Holy Spirit who is a counselor, who is the one who convicts and convinces us of the truth, who connects us to relationships, who helps guide us in life and comforts us. I can't tell you the number of times my wife has come alongside me and says, um, 
Honey, I, I want to convince you of something. We don't need a new Traeger. Our Traeger works just fine. <laughs> Come alongside and says, hey, I, I think you need to spend a little bit more time with one of our kids. I think you need to connect with them relationally a little bit. They just need more time with you. Co-equal, partnering together, but unique in how we go about our roles. This is the picture God is presenting in his scripture. Friends, hear me. Where God designed partnership, sin wants to come and distort it into a power play for control. We were not meant to try to control people, but rather partner with them. And we are called to a mutual submission, not a gender-dominated subjugation. Read Ephesians 5.21. Submitting yourselves to yourselves as unto the Lord. Friends, our world and sin in our world and in our lives is trying to create a power play between men and women. And God's like, I ain't got nobody got time for that nonsense. I created you to partner together, submit to one another, and let's walk in the bond of love, creating unity in our midst and the family of God and in the home itself. You cannot have offspring without men and women. Churches, I would argue, cannot produce spiritual offspring without both genders working together in partnership to accomplish the mission that God has for the family of God. This is part of the biblical picture of what it means to be a radiant woman of God. Recognizing that I don't have to demean the distinctions. I don't have to demean the roles that God has for me. But rather I can step into the ordained life that he's called me to. And walking in an identity with the model of how and what and power of the Holy Spirit. Now, there's another section of scripture that I want to look at real quickly. And it's Proverbs 31. Proverbs 31 is a beautiful mosaic picture that scripture is painting for you and painting for me of what a radiant woman looks like. Proverbs 31. Now, something uh, kind of uh, Bible info here. Proverbs 31 was not written by Solomon. It was written by a man by the name of Lemuel. This is a saying that came actually from his mother. In fact, most scholars believe that Proverbs 31 is a woman's description of a woman's role. It's not Lemuel saying this is what it looks like. It's actually Lemuel repeating what his mother told him, what it looks like to walk in this way. Now, it's comprised of an acrostic in the Hebrew language of 22 verses, beginning with the letters of the Hebrew alphabet. It's a poetic form which suggests a complete exploration of its subject. In other words, this is not a checklist of perfection. Rather, it's a picture to present a multifaceted view of what womanhood, according to Scripture, looks like. What a radiant woman could look like. It's not a list that you need to check off to try to obtain something, ladies. Rather, it's an understanding of what God is shaping and calling you into in a myriad view of perspectives. Are you with me? Are you with me? 
Are you in Proverbs 31 yet? Come on, here we go. Proverbs 31, and then you can go spoil mom, have some pictures, and eat really good food, and uh, then you can do the dishes, fellas. Here we go. Proverbs 31, starting in verse 10. Let's listen to this, this vision. Who can find a virtuous and capable wife? She is more precious than rubies. Her husband can trust her. And she will greatly enrich his life. She brings him good and not harm all the days of her life. She finds wool and flax and busily spins it. She is like a merchant ship bringing food from Aldi afar. She gets up before dawn to prepare breakfast for her household and plan the day's work for her servant girls. Pause. This is not indicating someone who has slaves in their home. It's indicating someone in the household cold of the day that is basically saying she runs the enterprise of the family business. She gets up and prepares breakfast for all of the employees that work on their homestead. And she is there caring and taking care of all of those who, are, who, who they are responsible for providing a living wage to. It's an economic understanding. It's a business entrepreneurial relationship. Verse 16. She goes to inspect a field and buys it. With her earnings, she plants a vineyard. She is energetic and strong and a hard worker. She makes sure her dealings are profitable. Her lamp burns late into the night. Her hands are busy spinning thread, her fingers twisting fiber. She extends a helping hand to the poor and opens her arms to the needy. She has no fear of winter for her household, for everyone has warmed clothes. She makes her own bedspread. She dresses in fine linen and purple gowns. Her husband is well known at the city gates where he sits with the other civic leaders. She makes belted linen garments and sashes to sell to merchants. She is clothed with strength and dignity, and she laughs without fear of the future. When she speaks, her words are wise, and she gives instruction with kindness. She carefully watches everything in her household and suffers nothing from laziness. Her children stand and bless her. Her husband praises her. There are many virtuous and capable women in the world, but you surpass them all. You are more radiant than them all. Charm is deceptive. Beauty does not last, but a woman who fears the Lord will be greatly praised. Reward her for all she has done. Let her deeds publicly declare her praise. What a picture of a woman who is thriving, a woman who what she sets her hands to prospers, of a woman whose character and inner world are flourishing, of a, of a woman who recognized that she is created uniquely and worthy of honor, but has a distinct role. In some things. Friends, this is a beautiful, beautiful picture. And what I love is that it says the the engine that drives all of this is not wealth. The engine that drives all of this is not personal achievement, notoriety. You want to know what the source is of, of this picture of a radiant woman? She fears the Lord. She has a relationship with God that flourishes something in her. 
the wisdom that she teaches with is not wisdom of her own, but wisdom from the Spirit of God. Oh, it's a beautiful picture. Friends, I I want you to see something. Men and women both created equal, worthy of honor and value, the same. Yes, but unique in their roles. But in fulfilling their roles, I want you to hear, chasing achievement and furthering society cannot come at the expense of our primary focus of family and the kingdom of God. Those are first priorities in our partnership together. Pastor, are you saying... um, Moms shouldn't work outside the home? No, not at all. In the same way, I I think it's right for men to also work. I'm saying that anytime we're starting to achieve something or find our value derived from a priority God did not say was a priority, we get it twisted and wrong. And something begins to fall apart. There's a priority of heaven starts in the home is part of the kingdom of God and expands beyond from there that's what I'm calling us to there's a beauty she, she, this, I love it it's, she goes out buys a field then takes the earnings and makes more money on it oh she's got some sense to her she's not uneducated she's not a non-philanthropist she's generous and kind and loving the bible is presenting a very amazing picture of what it looks like but at the center of it is a heart for god that is unrelenting and radiant if i may this proverb is an acrostic it's a walks through poetically some things I've put together my own acrostic today to help us understand this radiant role of the woman of God using the letters in the word mother. Starting with an M. Ladies, manage. That's a stewarding an inner world and an outer world with diligence so it flourishes. This is the vision I see. The radiant women are open-handed. She is generous, resourceful, nurturing, and hospitable. T teaches with wisdom. She walks, talks, and listens to the Holy Spirit personally. Oh, she's a household savant. She can take a house and make it a home. Not so that Joanna Gaines notices, but so that others feel safe and connected in relationships. This is the gift. Excellent in character. She uses her whole being to embody a standard of godly holiness, unity of faith, and honor toward others with a listening ear. And don't miss this, a refusal to gossip. A refusal to gossip a sacred listening ear to the truths of what's happening in her family and the world and and refusing to do so that helps produce an excellent character. And lastly, R, radiant. 
She has a loyal allegiance to Jesus and acts in accord with the nature, gifts, and the fruit of the Holy Spirit. This is a picture of a radiant mother, of a radiant woman of God. If you are a mom, at whatever stage or category that would make you, would you stand? And not to worry, we'll all be standing here in just a minute. And this isn't to signal out those who want to be moms, but man, it just hasn't happened yet. Or those who kind of have experienced child loss. This, it's, not, it's not to signal those out or make, make anyone feel bad. But the Bible says that there's something about giving honor to those who are worthy of honor. And today, moms, ladies, I want you to hear you are a daughter and a child of God. You are loved. You are beautiful. You are known. You are valued. You are cherished. And the fullness of the Spirit wants to come and reside within you and empower you into a new way. Wherever you feel unqualified, know the Holy Spirit comes and supplies whatever you feel is missing in your life. He is an ever-present help. And so ladies, today, we rise and we look at you and we call you blessed. We declare that you are radiant and clothed in excellent beauty of God. You are amazing. And we love you. Those of you that are seated, would you stand? Join those who were already standing. And if you are near a mom or someone who was standing by themselves a minute ago, would you just place an arm on their shoulder, a hand on their back? And today, typically we would end with a prayer and then something else. Today, here's what I wanted to do. I want those of us who had been seated while they stood... I want us to speak aloud our blessing. And not just over each other, but over the one that we're standing next to. Whether we know them or not, we're going to read this blessing over them today. And those that were standing, you just get to sit and listen. So moms, you just get to enjoy the voices of blessing over you. Can we speak this aloud over them? Let's read this together. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you his peace. Amen. Hey, we love you. Have a happy Mother's Day. Make sure you pick your gifts up on the way out. You guys are dismissed.